Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Thank you for listening to this Heritage Foundation event. Every day, the Heritage Foundation holds important events with respected and influential leaders and policy experts on today's most important issues. Our events are part of our mission to formulate and promote conservative public policies based on the principles of free enterprise, limited government, individual freedom, traditional American values, and strong national defense. We hope you enjoy the program. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Heritage Foundation and our Douglas and Sarah Allison Auditorium. We, of course, welcome those who join us on our Heritage.org website on this occasion. For our guests here in-house, we would ask that courtesy to see that our mobile devices have been silenced. And, of course, those watching online are welcome to send questions or comments to us at any time, simply emailing speaker at heritage.org. Welcoming our guest and leading our conversation is Genevieve Wood. Ms. Wood serves as Senior Communications Advisor and Senior Contributor to the Daily Signal, Heritage's multimedia news organization. She previously served as Heritage's Vice President of Marketing and oversaw our Leadership for America program. Prior to joining us here at Heritage, she worked for a variety of political, policy, and media organizations, including the Family Research Council, Republican National Committee, Cato Institute, Manhattan Institute, Susan B. Anthony List, and NPR. I'm so glad, Genevieve, you could finally settle down with a job. (laughs) Please join me in welcoming Genevieve Wood. Thank you. Thank you, John. As you can see, I I ran out of other employers to work with, so now that I'm at Heritage, I have to to stay. it's my great pleasure to introduce our guest today, and I know she doesn't need a big introduction because I know many of you just see her and you automatically know who she is, uh, but you haven't always been at Fox News. Harris got her start also in the local TV market. She worked in Kansas City. She worked in Minneapolis and a host of, of different places before settling at Fox, uh, where now, as you know, she's the co-host of Outnumbered and the anchor of Outnumbered Overtime, uh, and I just saw her on the air. She was literally on up until I think about 2 o'clock before coming before coming over here. So thank you for making time for us here. Oh, of course. The IG report was dropping, so it was tons of breaking we news. We saw that. I was like, I hope they don't hold on to her and say she can't come. Uh, we're gonna, and we're going to have plenty of time for you all to ask questions. We're going to have a conversation first. But she's here as a news anchor, and somebody can talk about a lot of things in the news. But she's also here today as an author, and I would say maybe a life coach. Uh, if you haven't picked up her book yet, it just came out last week. It's called a Military, well, Nine Rules of Engagement, A Military Brat's Guide to Life and Success. And I've had the pleasure of reading through it over the weekend. And one of the things that she talked about, and I would say the whole book, if you would say, is really a a life lesson and can be life lessons. And one chapter in particular, I think, speaks to it. But the whole book is really filled with concrete advice to help readers discover what Harris refers to as the mother of all goals, living your purpose. And I think every chapter in here that gives advice really is is pointing towards, towards that. So Harris, let me ask you first, why did you decide to write the book? Well, you know, I grew up military. I was born on an army base in Georgia. And, you know, I'm often asked uh, with different audiences that I speak to uh, through my motivational speaking, why is it that you are so confident in what you do? Why do you feel like you are right where you need to be? And I have practiced my entire life the nine rules of engagement that I learned about in my household. Uh, And part of that is figuring out what your mission is in life, devising your mission, putting great people around you, people who you know will watch your back, who don't gossip. I don't know if anybody knows anybody in here who gossips, right? Um, Who are not negative. Uh, What I call recruiting your special forces. So I, I wanted to take that military background and overlay it on what I see are some challenges right now for people. We've got a job market that has room for people now. And that means that more and more are going to be at every stage in their lives, uh, are going to be auditioning for jobs, interviewing. And how do you show your best self when you go in? What are your tools um, what, that you have in your toolkit that you know you should be taking out? How do you missionize your life is my, my question for you. Um, are you supported in your everyday lives to make your dreams come true? And as we become a more skilled and differently skilled uh, work environment for people with those jobs that have opened up, 
Uh, it, it's interesting to see how well prepared you'll be for competition. So I think it's it's very important to do this now. I also see new threats around the world, just militarily, and I see our military responding and changing in ways that we can all learn from. You know, our ability to be resilient when it looks like the odds are against us, our ability to change course when things aren't quite working out, we're needing to do some of that around the world. And as we meet with countries like North Korea, um, and potentially we don't know what's coming down the road, but the last president met with Cuba. These are communist-type nations and rogue regimes and whatnot. Um, our military's task and purpose changes a bit, and its mission is sharpened in different ways. We know that cyber, for instance, is something that we need to pay more attention to now. So I'm looking to the military, as I always have, to kind of answer back on challenges that may force that may face us. I do want to say one thing, if I can. So today is June 14th. It is the day that the military was founded in the United States of America. I think some of you know, more than 200 years ago. It is also my father's birthday. So if he were ever looking for a reason, that combat pilot dad, um, he looked no farther than the day he was born. I think the good Lord was just trying to make it easy for him. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, yeah. It's also the president of the United States' birthday as well, a commander-in-chief, so this is an interesting day, and I'm glad to be here with all of you. So thank you for having me. We're delighted to have you. Uh, you you referred to BRAT on the book. I didn't... Re yeah. Does anybody know what BRAT stands for? Well, we know the meaning. Yeah, we know the meaning. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't realize it stands for Born, Raised, and Transferred. Yeah, it's an acronym. You know how the military loves its acronyms. <laughs> But I can be the other way, too, I suppose. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and it, it really talks about that ability to adjust to any situation. And I happen to be born on a military base. I was raised on them in this country, in Germany. Um, and I certainly have transferred quite a bit, and that is not exclusive to me. I mean, that's kind of the thing. You, you start off really, I think, every chapter with stories really from your dad's mm -hmm. life and his service in the, in the military. and just War stories. That, war stories. And, and all, but what I thought was also really interesting was you, you talk about it kind of as when I was a child in these situations, here's what I was observing. Mm -hmm. And so much of what you talk about in the book is not just, it is, yes, you, you must do some things on your own, but what you can learn from everybody around you and what you learn yeah. from your dad and also those he served with. You know, I try to learn something new every day. And it's one of the reasons why I make sure I'm in the company of people who really are worthy of that. <laughs> so uh, I begin with recruiting your special forces because I think we all have people in our lives who don't belong there. And our good-heartedness or maybe not being clear-eyed on it, I'm not quite sure, but we let them keep company with us and we tell them our dreams. These are sometimes people who want what we have. You can't tell people your dreams if they want what you have. They don't have your back. So starting there was really important. And some of the very early lessons that my dad um, taught me, my sister, and would you know impart on anybody who would sit still long enough was, you know, special forces, when they go in to take out a guy like Osama bin Laden, they don't need 200 of them. They just need a couple dozen of really good, prepared mission artists. And... I implore everybody to take a look at their situation today and is there somebody in your life who is a drag on your energy, who is pulling you back, holding you back or not supporting you? Um, get rid of those people. And by the way, some of them are relatives and that gets awkward. And so in the book I talk about how to separate yourself from people who don't belong in your constellation uh, as much as they are now. That is so important because we only have a finite amount of energy. Who we, who we hang with, who we share with is really important. And then that reciprocal nature of watching your friends back or your special forces member, inner circle squad, hashtag squad goals is one uh, that we see on Twitter a lot. But it's reciprocated, you know? We want to be clutch for that other person too as they reach for their dreams. So you'll notice that the circle gets smaller and smaller. And the science that I talk about in the book that the military knows is that in very tiny units, people become a lot like the five people they spend most of their time with. That's huge. That's a lot to give away. So you've really got to make sure that that's what it needs to be in terms of that inner circle squad unit. So in answer to your question about starting out each chapter with stories from my dad and how it was my perspective as a young person, once you have your people in place that are supporting you, you can 
learn something new every day because they're looking to fortify you. And my dad was around other colonels, other generals. He was on the Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, support for uh, General Colin Powell when I was in about third or fifth grade, somewhere in there, those grades. And my dad would say, when you're in the presence of someone who has more answers than you do, just make sure you're listening well. And so what you found, right? <laughs> and, and I treat prayer like that too. It used to be when I was younger, I would pray and I'd do all the talking. And my mom would say, well, when is the Lord going to get a word in edgewise to help you out? And I, you know, and when you are around people who are gifted in a certain area that you want to know more about, you do have to be quiet and let them do the talking. And my dad said, if you will do that with great people around you, it's amazing how you will grow and learn something new every day. Well, and you do, you have several lists in the book where you, and one of them is, is that's a military to, thing too. Yes, we like to check your things list. off. But but it, but asking questions that help you decide: Do I have the right people around me, and which people are maybe a drag? I also love the story if you want to share it about the pillowcases because oh it wasn't just your dad; it was also your mom helping make sure you were surrounded by the right people. So we're all grown ups in, in the room, so I think I can use the language that I use in the book. But I get the most feedback, by the way, on this. So I was in junior high. And my mother met a few of my girlfriends, and she thought that they were, and this is not a word we use anymore, but like when I was growing up, we used the word fast. <laughs> that meant, I know you guys are all looking at that meant that they were quick to do things they shouldn't be doing. And these girls were very active in a certain area. And my mom felt like all the young girls left. They, they've had this talk too. They know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and my mother was like, these young girls are, they're, they're not worthy of your time. But she knew that if she told me only that, I would defy her. Because I like them. I liked it. They, they all could sing and dance, and I was into that. I was in drama, you know, and I thought, oh, they're terrific. And she was like, well, they're drumming up their own drama. That's why they're into drama. So, um, but my mother taught me that who you hang with really matters. Like, this was the beginning of that lesson about special forces. And she said, not only does it matter for your own development, you will be judged by those with whom you hang. And it's sometimes difficult to shake that. Now, in the day of social media, it's an even louder message. I'm very careful about who I retweet. You know, if they have four followers and I have a quarter of a million, I'm probably not retweeting them. That's just a lesson you might want to know no matter what age you are. There are people out there that will pull you into their level and not everybody who has four followers is not a good person. That's not my point. But if they're taunting you, yeah, they're up to no good. Well, these girls were those types of people on Twitter, I guess you could say. And so what my mother did was she thought that she would just fill up all my time. She was running out of stuff to get me to do, so she had me iron all the pillowcases in the house. And two or three times a week, she would change the bedding. And I'm like, who is sleeping enough in this household <laughs> to need, first of all, that much change in bedding. And second of all, who sleeps on an iron pillowcase outside of like a five-star hotel? Like, why do you even need that? And like our stuff Faulkner was... family. I know. Well, our <laughs> stuff was so cheap and modest. I was like, it doesn't have enough thread count to iron it that much. It's going to fall apart. And one day, I saw my mother sneaking pillowcases in from Burlington Coat Factory. She was making sure I was up to the task. So she was buying pillowcases so that I would even have more to do. My mother wanted to make sure that I was distracted from the mission of hanging out with these girls because distraction is destruction for your mission. She wanted me to find something, and she said this to me. I want you to find a group of people and, and activities that you do with them that are worthy of our values here at home. We have integrity in this family. The bar is high for you, Harris Kimberly, and it's never going to be lower just because you like a few people that you shouldn't be hanging with. So the pillowcase thing, thank you. I, I think it resonates with people because it was hot in those, those you know, areas where my mom would have me do this in a small laundry room. So it was like a 1,000 degrees in there with a hot iron. And she'd come by and she's like, oh, did you miss a wrinkle on that pillow? Oh, my goodness. So, no, it was good. And so now I'm often asked the question, am I strict with my own kids? My husband's in the back, and he can tell you that we aren't ironing pillowcases, but I found the equivalent in some, <laughs> some ways to that. You also talk about, you have a, a well, it's rule number two. It says deal with your demons. Yeah. And this is really about breaking bad habits that are going to get in the way of you getting to where you need to, to go. Is that one of the most difficult things that you've had to, had to do in terms of your career and life in general? Actually, for me, um, there's another one that was more difficult than that. 
because there's so much temptation to kind of play small. And so owning your moment, and I'll get to that in a minute. But I'll tell you why, you know, in particular, this is so critical. Remember I just said that distraction is destruction of a mission. Well, that can be something that you don't want somebody doing, but it can also be something that you really are dedicated for and to, and it's your purpose. And if you have things about you that are distracting, you can't go forward. And so the military knows this. Um, and, and the FBI, I think, is learning this today with this IG report as we learn more about how some employees were not doing what they were supposed to be doing, and so that takes away from the overall mission. The military knows this as well. So what have we dealt with that we know that are demons? Uh, the VA hospital situation has been particularly difficult for the military, but they're dedicated to have it happen. They're, they're going to make the situation different and better. They're going to need lawmakers probably to help that case. But, you know, they have faced things along the way. One of the reasons why my father joined the military is because he thought it was the great equalizer. That when you stepped away from what was going on in this country in the 60s, you had opportunity and a measurement of merit rather than skin color and anticipation of job performance based on what you could do. And the color for him, because he was in the Army, was green for camo, um, and not about your skin color. So when the military is tackling something like sex discrimination behind lines as they staff up with more women in combat now, they've had their issues. I'm sure some of you have heard about the posters of the ladies up on certain places where they're sharing workspace now, and they're writing rules about this and dealing with it. They know they have to deal with those demons because when you go into to battle, you can't be wondering whether or not your coworker saw a poster that was inappropriate about women up in your barrack. Like that, you're, that can't happen. You're sharing too much workspace. So the military, that's just one example of what they're dealing with. For me personally, I write about a demon that nearly destroyed my career. I was chronically late for everything. And, you know, there's some things that have give and take. You know, when not you're breaking news, not lying. No, and I had a news director who said, if you're not going to show up for this, are you going to show up for life? Like, it was a problem. I would be so late that people, if I was meeting people for dinner, I would get there and they will have ordered their meals and they were eating. <laughs> so this wasn't 15 minutes of fashionable lateness. It was insecurity that was driving it. I felt like I wasn't enough. And I really needed to deal with that. Because it was manifesting itself and being late, but there are a lot of ways that insecurity can manifest itself. So I encourage people right out the gate that once you get your squad straight, work on yourself. Because it is you, it's the human element of your journey that's going to make a difference. And I think about how much time I wasted wasting time. Like I would fill my, you know, I would say, well, I have to be at this place in 15 minutes. I don't know how I'm going to do. I'm not sure if I can get there on time. What should I do now? Should I do my hair or my nails? I was never at a place on time. And there were newscasts where literally I would breeze in and my tush would hit the seat as the, as the music was playing. Because I was insecure. I wasn't sure that I was enough. And my mother had had it. My dad had had it. He's like, how can you run a mission in your life, and everything with him is. The only thing he's short of is like the A-Team theme song from the 80s. You know, he gets ready to go buy a bottle of Tylenol, children's Tylenol for my kids when he visits, and you can hear, da-da-da-da, you see like the big A-Team getting out of the chopper, and <laughs> I mean, he's everything's a mission. My husband can attest to everything's a mission with me, right? Yeah, I make a lot of lists. You mentioned that. The nine rules of engagement will change your life. They will make you aware of the areas where you need to work, shore you up, and give you the one thing that I promise you military brats have in common. We are super resilient. Well, and I will say, I mean, some people may say, oh, well, this is a good book for people who are just getting started in their career. And Oh, no. It's good for them, too. So for the interns, I see a few of you sure. in here. Lots it's of graduate gifts, you. Father's Day gifts. That's right. But it, it's for everybody. No, really, really and no is. matter where you are, and not just your career. I mean, this is life. It's not just about where do I want to be when I'm 45 and what do I want my title and my business card to be. It's also where do I want to be in my relationships and my life in general. Well, a lot of the rules 
were formed as I was younger and, you know, there were a couple as I got older going into college. So I know that they speak to young people because of their origin. But my dad, who's turning 81 today, um, is in the process of giving me a book review, which I think is hilarious. We had, have you guys ever heard of a morning show called Fox and Friends? So they went to my Instagram page and pulled my dad opening the book for the first time last week. And uh, first of all, he's a one-take wonder, and he doesn't do TV or anything. I was really impressed by that. And he got kind of teared up. He flipped the book over, and there's a picture of me sitting on the wing of his plane, his fighter jet. This is in Stuttgart, Germany, um, between his tours and in Vietnam. And that's my mom. She was so hot. I looked just like my dad. And uh, <laughs> there's a lot of pictures in the book, by the way. Yeah, Apparently, there are. Like the day you're born, I think, with your mom. I know. Right? My, my, great these photos. were pictures I had never seen their wedding picture. Like it was just so odd. They were married 57 years. So um, what my dad loved about that picture was he was saying on this Instagram video, "Look at the baby on the back." I'm like, "Oh my lord!" And so Fox and Friends had a field day with that because they're like, "Oh, the baby." But, How old were you? Three? Oh, two? yeah, yeah, about that. Maybe two and a half. Um, and I look like I was having such a good time. But, you know, what my dad would say is that it's, it's that journey that matters. And at 81 years old, he told me the other day, you know, I read the last rule, the last chapter in the book is called When Things Fall Apart, Believe You Have the Answer. Um, and that in the military is this mission is done, your plane's being shot at, you got holes in it. I talk about this. I, I give that story. Uh, you're injured, you're probably not going to make it back. And in life, for my dad, the only thing that ever felt commensurate to that was losing my mom about a year and a half ago. They were married, as I mentioned, 57 years. She's buried at uh, the cemetery, the National Military Cemetery in Arlington, Texas. And he saluted her the day of her uh, military spouse funeral, saying, the greatest civilian warrior I've ever known. And he said when he read that chapter, he felt, like that was a rule that was meant for him. He said, I really didn't think I needed much more and that I maybe had learned as much as I could learn. He said, there was so much about your mother I never knew because I got to read it through your eyes. And I got to see that you really are as resilient as we ever hoped that you could be, that you're passing that on to your girls and you're telling every man, woman, and child that they can be that resilient too. No matter what you're facing, you can come out on the other side a winner. You can land that plane with holes in it. And he's 81, so I know there's something in there. My faith tells me that whatever you're supposed to get, you're going to get. Yeah, And I'm busy enough that to write the book, I figured somebody must need this. <laughs> the, the, the good Lord has put this on my heart. And some of the stories are funny. Like I you know, I, pillowcases, for example. People love that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you, you've been writing for a long time because I, I have as, a, as you go through this, you refer to the fact that you go back to your diary. Yeah, so I kept keeping. a diary. Yeah, and yeah. The, so many of these were things that you actually, lessons you, lear- you were learning at the time. Yep. Not that you'd forgotten, but you'd forgotten, you'd, wrote, you'd written that down and really thought about it, and it just kind of became some of the rules. Well, and it let me know, too, the kind of impression that things were being made on me at the time. You know, when I was in 11th grade... And I wrote about one of the rules, and to read it now on those tattered yellow pages with my little key. Anybody have a diary that had like a little key? And I thought I could keep my mother out of it. And yeah, no, she would take like a hairpin out because you can see her hair was like pen curled. She would work that lock. I know she read it. And she was like, no, I'm not reading your diary. And I'm like, please. But anyway, I wrote all these things, and it's the beginning of journalism for me. You know, I I journaled about what I heard other military leaders and my father talking about in terms of, okay, well, that didn't work out. Why didn't so-and-so have a backup plan? You know, you always need a contingency and and that sort of mission planning, if you will. Um, And also just about playing big in your life. You should star in your own movie. And I think sometimes people are this big in the way that they see themselves as a whole. And what I hope I'm doing with this book too is teaching us that the military has special days. They have on base, they'll, they'll pin you, you'll get, you'll get a, a rank change, you'll go from captain to major to lieutenant colonel, you'll, I mean, there are lots of ways, but do you know why they do that? It isn't to boast or to help others boast. 
It isn't to celebrate that they're so perfect or so great, because remember, they have their own demons. It's so that we can get practiced at letting other people shine when it's their time. And that's the the chapter, the rule, if you will, on owning your moment. Your moment. Yeah. So you own yours, and you be sure to praise and let others own theirs. Keep way of passing it on. Yeah, it really is. On. And I think sometimes when yeah. people read that rule, Genevieve, they think, oh, they, you know, I've got to play big. You know how we play big? When we have enough space in our hearts to let others win. And when we congratulate them to really mean it. Our youngest daughter is a gymnast. She's nine years old. She can do things that I can't do on the floor in the air. It's truly amazing for a child who didn't walk till she was 17 months old. <laughs> I'm just thrilled she can walk. Um, but, you know, I, I look at her and I think, wow, she's really going for it. And to a person, my husband will attest, every teacher, every child, every parent who comes in, in contact with Danica, yes, named after the race car driver, um, they all say the same thing. She's such a winner because her heart's so big. You know, when, when other children need that pat on the back, Danica's right there with her arm around them. She's got that sweet spirit, and she wins a lot. She's very talented. But that chapter is really about taking a moment to tell yourself that, yeah, this was great. Take your moments. That is what will allow you to be in the company of others when it's their time. And you know when we compete, sometimes it can get a little nasty. People can throw what we call shade. Anybody ever heard of that word? It's a German word, actually. It comes from schadenfreude, which even then, it meant the same thing. More shade than a forest and some side eye. <laughs> <laughs> you, okay, so there are nine rules here. Is there any that if you said, okay, is there one that to you is more important than the others, or they're all absolutely right. important? I love that question because I really didn't write them in order except for the first and the last. Okay. Yeah. So recruiting your special forces and making sure that you're in that great group that supports you, number one. When things fall apart, believe you have the answer, number nine. But in the middle, just go for it. You know, you know that when you're going to devise a mission, you should probably put some things down on paper with deadlines. Have you seen Congress act without a deadline? It's tough. <laughs> well, and like I said, there's more than one chapter that has lists and has questions yeah. for you to ask yep. yourself about how do you get to this point, how do you reach yep. this goal, uh, which I, I found very helpful. Yeah, I was well, good. Very, I'm glad very, you did. Yeah, I think sometimes we need stuff. a starting point yeah. um, in our personal lives, and that is truly the part that is motivational and um, I think allows us to repair and go forward anything that we need to work on. One other that I would say should not be missed, and again, you can read the ones in the middle between one and nine in any order, but this idea of unleashing the power of your integrity. So we're now in a society where on Twitter you can have a little egg face. You don't even let people know who you are, and you can take, you should read some of the stuff on my Twitter feed. It is pretty amazing, especially if I've done like any kind of a debate on the outnumbered couch and it got a little chippy and you know, people say things and whatnot. Um, but people act like they don't have employers. <laughs> they act like they don't know anybody when they're on it. They just say anything they want. And I'm thinking, now, I wouldn't know who you are except for the fact that you put, included me in the conversation. But other people who know you may have a different interpretation of who you are. The quickest way to kill your reputation is to be inconsistent. And, you know, this is tough, because when I talk with audiences who are going from college to that first grade, they say, well, you know, I want to get to know everybody in the office, and I'm going to gossip a little over by the water cooler. Well, everybody does it, and I get that. Here's the critical mass point, though. If you wouldn't do it in front of your boss, you probably shouldn't do it at work, because your boss has a different interpretation of who you are. And that's the same way at work, by the way. I mean, it, uh, in life, by the way. Like, we would go to church on Sunday, and my mom would say, the biggest gossipers are going to sit down front. They think we can't hear them. And she said, but they're closest to the preacher, and he can hear them. And so I, I tell people that integrity, and I'm sure you guys have read this on bumper stickers and stuff, so I have my own take on it, but um, integrity is that thing that we do when we think nobody is watching. It's also that thing that we do for others who can offer us nothing more than their company. So it's more than whether or not we're looked upon as being honest or good. It's not so much about or only about doing good. It's about doing 
good for others. Or doing well, as we say, grammatically correctly. Yeah, I'm successful. I'm doing well, blah, 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 blah. But what have you done for somebody who could offer you nothing more than their company? That's integrity too. But that consistency of character is so critical. I mean, can you imagine taking an order from a general who can't tell you day to day what the mission is or how he fits into it? Would you follow him? Or if he can't decide if you're the right person to give the lead position to as we go in to take us off. You know what? I just changed my mind. I think it's going to be you. Oh, I like that orange sweater. But I really think it's going to be you. No, no, no. I think it, I think it should be you. Maybe it should be you. If we treat life like that, people won't know what to make of us. And that brings me back to integrity. Same thing about decision-making and doing the right thing. So people ask me on Fox and, and all these other networks, it seems like people argue all the time, what's your goal, Harris Faulkner? My goal in a debate is not to figure out who's right, but to get to what's right. How do we do the right thing? And I have to be consistent with that. Otherwise, I will have no credibility as a journalist. So I try to hear from everybody. I try to ask them not to shout at me. Sometimes they do. But I insist that they not be evil to one another in my presence. They can't break that rule with me. So integrity is huge. And when you have people in your constellation, in your group, that break the rules, that lie, that steal, and you know we all know these people who will do things that we wouldn't do, certainly not in the daylight, that is a true sign of a lack of integrity. And I think it's contagious. I'm going to open this up to the audience, so get ready with your questions. So my final question for you, uh, Harris, well, maybe two final questions. Number one, are you going to, write, are you going to write another book? Well, this is my second. The first one second. was about being a stalking mm -hmm. victim, which I talk which about talk in here about in because here. the case right. has moved forward, and the, um, the stalker who tried to kill me, now there's another chapter to that. So that's in one of the, uh, the chapters, too. I don't know. You know, what I really want to do is get feedback, particularly from other military. Are there any military members or brats in here? Really? Oh, my gosh. Can I give my microphone away? <laughs> <laughs> or you guys come up. I just want to. Oh, you have another one. Look at this. Thank you. I just want to know, <laughs> did you serve? Were you a brat? What's your name? Hi, I'm Terry Baker. I uh, retired from the military in 05. Okay. And I'm working for a small defense company out in New York here in the local office. Excellent. What branch? Army. Army. Thank you for your service. Yeah, Great pleasure. to see you, Terry. Wish I could do it again. Wow. God bless you. Thank you. All right. And I'm going to guess you're a brat because you're not old enough to have... Well, I don't know. Maybe you are. <laughs> no, I'm a military brat. So my father is in the Army. Uh -huh. And then um, my better half, my fiancé is also in the Army. He's wow. actually about to be deployed. So you're going to be a military spouse. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, we'll just keep the military. We serve with the person serving. It's, yes. Yeah, the whole family serves. It's, it's yeah, it takes a team. Yeah. It takes a team. Well, thank you for your service as a military dependent. Well, thank you. Thank you for right. yours. No, absolutely. All right, well, we, we diverged a little bit, yeah. but back to Genevieve Wood now. Uh, yes, back. So, well, you, one of the people that you spoke to, several people, beyond just your dad and the folks that he served with, you talked to General Jack Keane, who I, I know did. many of you were Four recognized Star Fox, um, and several other members of Congress who also had military experience. Women who served. What, yep. what, what was your intention in doing that? Why did you want to bring them? Because you had so many great stories on your own. Why did you want to bring them Thank in? you. Well, because I wanted to, first of all, as any reporter would do, edify my material with sourcing and more facts. And I just went in search of that. And I tried to choose people who um, were public enough that they would have been both witnesses to things that happened in the military and also people witnessing them doing it. And I thought that that was really important because I can have the perspective of I'm learning from these people, but are other people learning? And so and not only did I, for the book, interview people who were in the military, but I would interview people in their sphere because I wanted to know what things about what I'm talking about did they find in these people who served. And the consistencies were really overwhelming. Like we really did have a shared experience. Now, if you broaden that out, what does that mean for the rest of America? The military serves irrespective of politics. It is patriotic. It is patriotic. 
Um, so I have a definite feeling about the national anthem. I was an anthem singer for a while. Uh, I actually sang at a couple of NFL games, big ones, like 70,000 people. Um, but I won't get into that. Own your moment. Yeah, right, right, right. We won't get into But, you know, patriotism to me is personal. It's, it's the thing that allowed my dad to look at this country in strides of racial challenge in the 60s and say, I, I want to serve. Because I know that it would be great of me to serve a country that I love so much, even as it struggles. I believe in America. I'm going to open up now to the audience and just ask when we bring them, make, please do wait for the mic because we want the audience who's watching, who's not here in the room with us to be able to hear your questions. So just raise your hand and we will come to you. And we'll and ask you also to please state your name uh, just so Harris knows who she's, who she's Definitely. talking to. Definitely. Okay. I will come right back up here to the front first. Oh, right to the to brat, brat. Says, Now that we know what it stands transfer. for, it's okay to yeah. use it, right? So my name is Lexi King, and I'm an intern at the Heritage Foundation with the Davis Excellent. Communications Department. Starting that resume. Yes, starting it off very strong. Um, but my question was, so in my life, I was in Air Force ROTC for the entirety of my freshman year, mm-hmm. and I received a full scholarship, and had it taken away for a fish allergy. I was medically disqualified. Oh, my goodness. So, and that's what I wanted to do for my entire life. Mm -hmm. So, and you kind of have a chapter on how to deal with, you know, big struggles or, you know, Mm -hmm. to have such a crushing thing happen in your life. How do you backtrack and create a new plan? Um, Well, I talk about in the book that we don't bounce back, we bounce forward. So everything that you went through is a lesson that you need to go forward. I don't want you to try to erase anything, forget anything. You need all of it. There's a reason why you went through what you did. So I want you to embrace that first. We have to start where we are. So let's celebrate you for who you are at this moment. And I want you to do that for yourself. Um, I want you to take a real good look at the people who were with you when things didn't work out. How long is that list? Pretty small. Are those people still with you now? Thank them as often as possible. Because those who will get out and push the limo with us are very different from those who will ride with the sunroof open. So thank them. Um, But where you start is with that support and with that team. And do as much as you can to figure out what your next dream is. So I think it's great to journal. I'm a big fan of that. Writing, it's something that happens between the brain and the fingers. I'm not talking about typing or on your phone. But I mean that physicality of writing and figuring out what your next dream is. I know you're planning, it sounds like planning a wedding. Yeah, and you can kind of get lost in that, but but you know it's the marriage that's going to last, not the day. So spend more time on your dream than you do on the wedding. <laughs> Although get a good photographer, that's one thing I would tell you. <laughs> <laughs> spend all your money on that. Um, but what you want to start to do is open up like a flower and figure out, okay, let me have as many experiences. And it may not come right away. There, there was something that drew you to the military. There's something else out there that will allow you to serve. You know, you're at the Heritage Foundation. I've thanked a lot of lawmakers on the Hill today for doing 57 bipartisan bills on opioid crisis. They actually came together. There are a lot of ways we can serve. We can serve in peace missions. Um, my mother was a social worker, and during the summers I would go to group homes with her as she was trying to lift up children from difficult situations and get them to see more than their circumstances. I think she was serving. Your next purpose is there. Be still as often as you can. I start off each day just in silence. I'm not even moving. My husband thinks I'm still asleep. Um, I pray on my knees, but I sort of meditate in a prone state. And I'll lay there in silence, and I'll just listen. I'll listen for things to come to me, my own heartbeat. Same letters in the words silent and listen. Let life come to you. It'll, it'll hit you. And then get ready. Because once you figure it out, and you have the right people, and you got it in your heart, It is a, doors will start to fling open, and they're like um, restaurant doors. Sometimes one will hit you. Sometimes one will go, you got to really stay ready, and that's one of the rules. So I'm excited for you and your next journey. You had a, you had a, uh, 
equation, if you will. It says purpose plus something equals success. What, what am I missing? Uh, purpose plus um, focus equals success. success. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, and it's easy once you figure out what you want to do to be focused. But I say tell everybody you know what you want to do so that they can be looking out for you too, those who are worthy of your dream telling. All right. Next question. Hi. Wait, you got a microphone in your future. <laughs> Look at that. They're just falling from the sky. <laughs> I have t I, uh, Rob Louie um, here Hi, at Heritage. Um, thank you for being here today. Oh, my pleasure. And, uh, and also editor of the Daily Signal. And I have two journalism questions for All you. Right. Number one, um, how do you go about identifying stories, like powerful stories. That's one of the things that's most important to us at the Daily Signal is telling those stories to our audience. And secondly, at a, at a time when the trust and faith in journalism is so low among the American mm. people, what do you try to do to, to make sure that your audience has that trust and confidence? All right, I'm going to go in the order. And um, so, first of all, how do we find the stories? There's a difference between, in my view, going out and enterprising stories and covering the news. I mean, when there is something that is imminent that's about to happen or it's a train accident or, you know, whatever it is and it's breaking news, we don't really have to go far to look for anything. But today when I was on Capitol Hill, I was specifically looking for people who could tell me about legislation dealing with this drug addiction. We're losing 174 people a day. 174 will die from opioid abuse today and then another 174 will die tomorrow and when you think about it that way and you add it all up between now and Saturday, that's a lot of people from technically the same generation. These are not 70-year-olds who are doing this for the most part. So if you look statistically, if we were losing, say, 10% of a generation to something that was happening in the street, people would be picketing. They'd be out there losing their minds. I'm curious about the human condition for the things that people don't always talk about. I'm fascinated right now about what the heck we're going to do about mental health issues in this country. We don't even want to talk about it. We, we treat it like it's goo or worse. So in terms of what is news, a lot of times that gets decided for us. In terms of what is a Fox Top story, we like to go in search of an enterprise as journalists. And so some of us who have shows are tasked with, okay, what am, what am I really into? We're in a, a place right now where there's a hashtag Me Too move, movement. So it's kind of the, the moment for women. And I think there is a sensitivity for women's stories. For me personally, I'm interested in the future. Like, we've, we've seen kind of what the past did with that issue, and we see people coming out of the woodworks, the Bill Cosbys, the Harry Weinsteins and whatnot, who were operating like predators. We, we get that. Um, but what's going to be the next step? Because I'm raising daughters. There may be people in here raising sons. Like, it's on us now to raise that next generation. So I've been talking with people who I think have their, you know, thumb on the issue and doing interviews um, that is companion to maybe the headlines, um, but I think that that's our job as journalists too. The low-hanging fruit of where we are in politics and the fight right now um, is really difficult. People are so divided. And so when I do cover those stories uh, that are political stories, I try to look for things that can bridge divide. One thing that I know that the Heritage Foundation does, because I, I follow you guys and I see the writing and I have some of your, your great stars on my show sometimes, um, you bring forth an issue and you ask a bunch of different people from all walks of life to give you input. That's how journalism should work. You want to know why people don't trust us as much. That's your second question, right? Because not enough of us are doing that. Lazy opinionated, biased, disillusioned. There are a lot of words that we can throw out into the spectrum now where journalists are. We have a situation where at least once every month or so, information is leaked that maybe a journalist should have double-checked on that. Was any of it classified? That's a national security issue. And just because we have the First Amendment doesn't mean that we just get to run wild with leaked information. Are we couching that leaked information? Are we triple-checking our sources, going back and saying, look, 
you didn't tell me this, but I have two other sources on this. If you become my third, can you give me good information about what really shouldn't be released outside of... That's responsibility. And when you don't act like that, people lose faith in you. That's why we are where we are. And then you've got some who fill in the gaps. You know, I wear fake lashes, so I know a little something about fake. (laughs) But they like a little fake news. And they like to fill in the gaps with stuff that didn't actually happen. And then come back later with a clarification. The clarification is never on the front page. Have you ever noticed that? It's never. So there are some responsibility points that I think that we can hit as journalists. Do I think we can bounce forward? Absolutely. And I think sometimes social media makes certain people lazy too because they figure, well, if it's on Twitter, I don't really have to vet much. Oh, you got to do it even more so. There are millions of people who may believe what's there. And if you have an opportunity to report the facts, go get them. Did that answer your question? You're welcome. Do we have time for another? Hi. You need a microphone. Oh, there are two coming your way. I'm um, Kathy Powers, and I'm with a ministry called Revelation 7-9 Education Fund. And what we do is we try to provide a Christian education for the children of Christian workers in foreign lands Mm -hmm. uh, where they don't have advanced degrees in, you know, with any kind of that kind of influence. Um, The major question that we get all the time is what makes America great? Why are Americans so strong? Why are Americans successful? And so what I'd like to know is, um, are you going to be narrating the audio book when it comes out? I've done it. Have you done yeah, it? Yeah, we, we finished it. That was, and I say we because it took the whole family, didn't it? <laughs> I mean, um, there were, that last rule was really hard, the one that I read about my mom, and it took me almost a day to get it done. Wow. Yeah, it was well, hard to start uh, and stop. So it's out there, and I'm like you. I like a good story. Yeah, I like a bedtime story. They want to hear it from you. They, you yeah. know, the words on the page. They want to hear it from the person. Well, thank you, Kathy. You know, I was asked about it in the beginning, and uh, I was told by the publisher Harper Collins that you know sometimes we just have people do the the preface and the acknowledgement. We'll get a professional, and the, I'm like, well, I'm on air. I think I'm professional. <laughs> I tried not to take that personally. <laughs> like, really? But what they meant was, it's a lot. It's a lot because you are emotionally, you're right. It's my story, and, and I'm wanting people to really get this. So it took a minute, but it's out there. And if you go to Amazon.com, it sits, there's a little button you can click on for the audio version. So, yeah. It would so, be thank weird you. to have someone else reading your story. Wouldn't it be you know, to hear I, another voice <laughs> telling okay. this? Well, and and the place where I went, it's called the Film Center. It's this vintage place. It looks like something out of the movie Ghostbusters with the gargoyles on the rooftop. We have a lot of that kind of architecture in New York. And I went there, and there were floors of audio booths. And, like, the Fancy Nancy books, which my girls love. Fancy Nancy was voicing a book. She's not a real character. But but the lady who does it, and suddenly those books, I heard her speak. I was like in the elevator one day, and I, I was like, oh, I think I'm going to get off on that floor. It's got a fancy Nancy. <laughs> but now when I read those books, and my girls still love them, no matter how old they get there. It's, you know, fancy, fancy Nancy has a sweet way of saying things. It put it in a different perspective for me, and those lessons are lifelong. So I, I'm hoping that by voicing the book that these lessons also will be life-utilizing. And you actually tell a story in the book of it when you first realized you had a voice. You <laughs> yes. said it was a little deeper than others, but, but you, you started realizing there, this so, may be what I'm made for. Genevieve, I will hug you when we get up because you actually read the whole book. And sometimes people interview you and they don't. And it's like, wow. So what I love about can I, that. Can I just tell you very quick story? <laughs> so, because this is, um, and I'm going to have to bring up Bill Cosby for it. I worked at NBC years ago. And I was a person who set up satellite interviews with authors or guests, and they would do interviews with affiliates around the country. And he'd written a book called Fatherhood. Yes. And this was this was a lot. Wait, when lesson. was this? Nineteen ninety-two, something like that. The beginning of my career. I have a picture with Bill Cosby you and a book him. signing from that book. I may have set up that interview with the affiliate. I don't. That's crazy. Yeah, there you go. See, it all comes full circle. But I, the lesson I learned, he was sitting here, and we probably talked to 25 NBC affiliates around the country. And one of them, the woman comes on, 
And it was clear the local anchor had not read the book. Mm. And Bill Cosby's like, you haven't read my book. <laughs> he says it. At, I mean, and he really let her, I mean, it, she hadn't even skimmed it. It was quite Aww. obvious. And But what I learned from that was... <laughs> Read the book, or at least yeah. pretend you did before you interview someone. Well, if you're pretending, you're really no, you, missing, I, you should I be an actress. But I, but I, <laughs> I go back to that moment every time I do a book interview. That's I think hilarious. Read the book. Anyway, you know what I remembered about him? He never took off his sunglasses, and he had thousands of people who come out to this auditorium in Kansas City to see him speak and sign his book. And um, it was very cold in there, and I remember he had on one. Remember he used to wear those sweaters, those sweaters yeah. that Kooji sweaters, and they had like a million colors. Um, I, I don't know why I remember that, but I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, so thank you for reading the book. I appreciate that. And now I've lost track of why you <laughs> wanted me to... What did you ask me? What, what did I ask her? I know. We kind of got off on a tangent yeah. there. Oh, well, okay. So let's end with this. Because I want to give time for people to have to get you to autograph their book. Yeah. Uh, what have you not been asked, either here or somewhere else, that you wish somebody would ask you, either about the book or about your career or What's something you haven't been asked? So about the book, have I heard from any other military brats or people in the military giving me feedback on the rules? And I'm hearing from people all over the world. And what I'm hearing is that what they see in us as the 1% or so between those who are serving and, and our family members, the other 1%, as I like to say, um, is that we have an attitude about life that is unshakable. Some of our guys are coming back and they need our help, our guys and women. PTSD, they're, they're struggling. They've had very long deployments. And people ask me, do you think this book will help? If this book encourages anybody to see what it's like to be in the military or to love somebody who is, then I feel like my life's purpose turned out to be much bigger than what I envisioned. That's my prayer. And so... You know, as I was writing this, I tried to put it in a way that a civilian, a layperson would really get it. But what I really, I didn't need to do that because Americans get it. We understand the sacrifice for freedom. I think sometimes we need to be reminded, you know, but I have a whole lot of faith in us. And let me tell you, the world is watching us. They do think we're great. Eris Faulkner, we think you're great. Thank you thank very you. much for very being much. here with us. Thank you, everyone who joined us via the Heritage oh, Feed. And thank Facebook. you. Thanks for the question. And I'm going to invite everybody to, to, to pop outside. We have stacks of books. Uh, right. And so people, if you it. would like to get your copy and have it autographed by Harris, we would love to do that. Thank you very thank much. Thank you, everyone. My husband, Tony, too. Thank you and for Tony being in the up. audience. Tony, what would you like to ask your wife that I didn't ask Oh, her? my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming. He wants to know what's for dinner. Well, so if you go right out these doors here, we will have a lineup and we'll bring you up. Okay, yeah. Let's do it. Thank you again, everybody. I'm